Welcome back to another episode of the Global Startup Movement. I'm your host, Andrew Berkowitz. There's a lot going on this week as conference season swings into full gear. Shout out to everyone at Web Summit. Unfortunately, I was not able to make it out this year, but I will be heading to Addis Ababa, Ethiopia in a couple of weeks. So be sure to follow us on social media at Global Startup TV on Twitter and Instagram to follow my trip. And if you're in town, please reach out and connect with me. I will be in Addis from November 19th to the 21st for the Africa FinTech Summit, and I hope to see some of you there. But today, we are headed to the Democratic Republic of Congo through an interview with Nate Houghton, who is the co-founder and president of the Congo Leadership Initiative and a former director at NextGen Venture Partners in Washington, D.C. Nate has a really interesting intersection of knowledge that combines on his on-the-ground experience and network in the Congo with his experience in the U.S. Mid-Atlantic venture capital landscape, which resulted in a great conversation between the two of us. Nate is currently busy raising his latest venture fund, which is going to be a seed stage VC looking to invest in the next generation of scalable tech-enabled businesses in Africa's second largest country, the Democratic Republic of Congo. Nate and I go really deep on this episode on what opportunities exist in a country like the Congo. And insights from this episode can be applied to a lot of second-tier markets across the African continent. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Nate Houghton, co-founder and president of the Congo Leadership Initiative and soon-to-be managing partner at the Congo Leaders Venture Fund. So today, I am in studio with Nate Houghton, who is the founder of the Congo Leadership Initiative. Uh, I spent a lot of time in uh, D.C. with, with NextGen in the venture capital community here in the Mid-Atlantic, and then eventually made his way over to Africa in the DRC, which we'll dive into. But Nate, thank you so much for joining us in studio. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so let's just start off with a little bit about you and kind of, you know, sure. maybe start off with, with how you got to NextGen and then how that eventually led to Africa. Yeah, so I mean, you, you touched on this a little bit. It's I like to say I had two parallel careers a little bit, where I had I had one that's very uh, DRC related, um, and actually first went to Kinshasa when I was mm. still in college. Um, so I had just turned twenty, and I was exploring a different part of the world and uh, had some vague desire to work with youth, but that's about as far as I had taken it. Um, and so I went to Kinshasa and I met some young people and, and we started doing uh, small scale leadership training with young people. Um, graduated from college, I, I ended up taking some jobs in, in startups and technology and that uh, led me down this, this other career path where I um, spent some time in, in sales for startups, founded a company, um, uh, did some consulting work and, and, and did spend some time on the VC side with, with NextGen mm-hmm. as well. Um, and so, at this point, these these two uh, these two streams have, have started to intermingle a little bit as we've as we've done a little bit more investing through our, our venture arm in, in right. The DRC. Interesting. Well, so okay, so the DRC that initial trip in your twenties kind of set up the, the seed for yeah um, for for what is now the Congo Leadership Initiative and your venture fund. So yes. with NextGen specifically, like you, you weren't looking at any Africa deals with them, were you? No, no, NextGen was uh, was very U.S. focused. I, I it did change my thinking in terms of how we were working okay. in Congo, though. I think that uh, up to that point, we were helping the youth start businesses as part mm-hmm. of our program, but we saw the funds that we put into those businesses as an expense, and, okay. and I think we just thought, hey, this is something that we're we're willing to to pay for so that they can get some right. experience. 
Um, but next gen in, in the way that you have to start to think as, as a, you know, as a VC, it, it got me curious about what would it look like if we were to track their mm. performance. And so that's the first time that, you know, we really started to think about what, what these youth could be in terms of, of business owners and, uh, and, 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 you know, value added kind of capital creators. So, um, so I, I do credit some of the thinking and, and really just learning how to do the, the, the that type of math, right. venture math to, to think about what, what that looked like mm. from that perspective. And so what, what is it, uh, what's it like in DRC? Like what's, what's your experience when you're there? Uh, it's very different than I think we tend okay. to hear about. In what um, ways? Well, the first part of the answer is I think asking, asking what it's like in DRC and in some ways is asking like, what's it like in the U S you know, it's, it's a country that's three times the size of Texas. Mm. So right now what it's like here in DC is probably different than what it's like in, in Tennessee and what it's like in California and what it's like, you know, right. in Illinois. Um, and so there are, are different parts of the DRC and we work in a lot of different parts of the DRC. I've always found it to be a place where I was welcomed, um, more than most and really more than anywhere else I've ever gone, uh, by, by people. Um, and, and obviously I'm very clearly an outsider there and, and, you know, I was never made to feel that way. Uh, it is a place with a great deal of latent talent. And so it's an incredibly young country, you know, median age 17 or 18, depending on the calculation, um, which is probably about half of what it is here. And you have young people who don't have uh, all that many places to put their energy. And so when you start to provide um, a little bit of capital, a little bit of training, it's amazing what, what they can do. So, um, so it's, you know, I think that generally we have an image in our heads and probably have in the West since Heart of Darkness of, of what DRC is. And uh, that's a very small sliver of, of, of what's actually happening there. Um, there is a growing startup scene. There, there are entrepreneurs uh, I like to think, in a sense, it's one of the most entrepreneurial countries I've ever come across. Mm. Um, survival, yeah. in a lot of ways, with, without a lot of infrastructure around you that we're used to here, uh, is incredibly entrepreneurial. And, and so you have a, a nation of people who have been able to uh, to do that for, for decades and yeah. centuries, I mean, really, um, in, yeah. in spite of opposition. You know, yeah. Entrepreneurship in Africa is, is truly entrepreneurship in its rawest form. Um, and, you know, I think yeah. that... Um, that, that what, what you said about the, these young people have so much energy, but and I think that, that that's the case across all of Africa and a, a lot of emerging markets, but the, the problem arises when there's not the right channels to, to put that towards. Sure. And, and I think that um, I, I can't speak as much to, to other African countries, obviously, but I think that's the case. One, one point that I think is important and, and we're sort of touching on here is we do have a tendency to, and, and I don't just mean you and me, but I think broadly in the West to think about capitalism and entrepreneurship and markets as something that we bring mm. um, but entrepreneurship is inherent right. Right? this is something that, that you know it's, it's human creativity in, in just the same way that art is that music is it's creating something where there was nothing before and, and no one in Congo or anywhere else in the world needs someone like me to show up to teach them how to do that um, it's very light structure around how, how can we put in place an environment where that actually turns into a business that can yeah. feed a family. Um, and usually it takes a lot less capital than we assume uh, to actually do that. But but the the ideas and the creativity and the ingenuity, that was there well before I ever showed up in Congo and, and will be there long yeah. after I leave. Um, I think that's yeah, important. Yeah, for sure. And so, so do, you know, do you know what the mobile phone penetration is in, in Congo? There are varying okay. reports, um, and I think I think it's like a lot of statistics in Congo difficult to <laughs> yeah. uh, to figure out. In in places like Kinshasa, it's extremely high. It's it's more or less on par with mm. with the U.S. 
and in places that are more rural or more remote, obviously a lot, right. a lot lower. Um, but the capital is also concentrated in a lot of the places where the mobile phones mm. are concentrated. And so I, I do, um, I do think that there's tremendous opportunity uh, to, to almost leapfrog uh, development in that sense with, with business models that are that are centered around mobile phones. There's certainly there's certainly businesses. Right. To and, and, and so when you think about raising a venture fund for DOC, DRC, I'm assuming like that mm-hmm. that geographic location is is where you're focused on because those mobile phones are the infrastructure for like, you know, fintech plays for you know, different 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 plays yeah. to build on top of. And I think this speaks to why we're thinking about different ways to to put capital to work in Congo, because when we work through a nonprofit, um, through 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 philanthropic funding, we we do really want to go everywhere, including places where there might not be mobile phones, there might not be opportunity to make a a, a risk adjusted market yeah. return, and and so that does limit you in a sense, and it's almost just creating a second channel for capital. In so doing, though, you, you do really have to focus on the places like Kinshasa, like Goma, like Lubumbashi, where, where there, are, there are, you know, there is enough concentration of, of capital and talent and, and technology um, that you can create these types of businesses. And so to answer your question, yes, when I think about for-profit investing, we're, we're starting in the places where it makes sense. Um, when we think about the work that we do with CLI, we, we think that's a lot, a lot more broadly applicable. Uh, but we do like having those two avenues because those are two, two separate ways to do this. And I think both can be credible when you work right. together with them. That makes sense. Well, but do you feel like you know, as, you, as you raise this venture fund for DRC that you're, you're going to have to play more of a role of an ecosystem builder than a typical venture fund would have to play just because the ecosystem is so young, right? I mean, sure, sure. Sure, sure. And I think, I think this gets to the idea of you know, the, the human capital versus financial capital. Part of it we're, we're already doing in a sense with, you know, the Congo Leadership Initiative does engage in microfinance. It That's more SMEs, right? Not training. like Silicon Valley style. It is. Okay. It is. Um, however, some of the, the young people who have gone through our program have effectively graduated from that and are now venture backable, right? And so we're, we're, we're sort of on the early stage of that. And, and so what, uh, what makes you say that? Like, what, what does that mean to, to be venture backable in that, in that context? So I, I think the, the, the returns that you're looking for when you're investing in venture deals are very different than if you're doing, say, impact investing or debt mm-hmm. investing, right? So if I'm, if, I'm doing, uh, if, I'm, if I'm investing in debt and I'm looking for you know, a return that's going to be the market, it's a little bit less risky. I'm more willing to take on a services business. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to take on a, an agricultural business right. or an SME. Um, these are not companies that are going to be or don't have the, really the potential to be global leaders, and that's fine, um, but they are also a lot safer. If I'm venture investing... I'm looking for big hits and home runs, and, and so I'm willing to roll the dice on companies that typically involve more technology for mm-hmm. scale and are going to have a chance to be continent or worldwide. Um, and that's, that's just a different structure of company. It's no different than you know, a, a lifestyle business here, which I've done, uh, or a venture-backable business here, which, which I've, I've also tried to do and failed. And like, I, think it, I think it's a different story right? when you're, when you're talking about those different profiles, for sure. Um, so to, to your original question, yeah, the training that we do through CLI, certainly more applicable to your traditional family business, potentially a lifestyle or SME type business. And there is more infrastructure that needs to be created around creating venture backable companies because it is a different way to, to learn. There is some, especially in Kinshasa, Goma, Lumbumbashi, some of these larger cities, there are incubators. Some of them have started to have some success. Most of them have at least some of their funding coming from public sources whether it be government or international aid. I think that's a little bit limiting anywhere in the world when you try to do that. And so, so no, we're, we're starting to recognize our role 
as we deploy capital in, in creating an environment or an infrastructure that's ready for that. Um, we are thinking about things like coding schools, right? And we are thinking about things like English training, which, you know, it's a, it's a French-speaking country. And these are all efforts to, to build those planks, but we have a long time. So, so DSC is a Francophone country? It is a Francophone country, and it's one of the toughest parts yeah. about working there. It sounds it sounds sort of uh, reductionist, but in a sense, it, it really, you know, from everything from I can't show a video of our classroom training to an American audience mm-hmm. and raise money for CLI without subtitles right. to we can't really provide scholarships for young people who are amazingly talented in our program if they don't mm-hmm. speak English. Um, and so, so providing that kind of training or that link is, is important. And so I know, I know there are certain, um, you know, um, certain parts of raising the fund that we can't really dive into but you know as, as you look to raise this venture capital fund for for this market i mean where where do you find you're spending most of your time like are you here in dc are you in london are you in france like right where, where are you spending most of your time yeah and and, and to be clear like we do we do have some investments that, okay. that we have made and it's, it's really just a matter of you know strategically over a 10 or 20 year time yeah. horizon well, i'm glad you said that because i think that most venture right. funds that operate in africa like 10 years is not enough it's not, it's not, no, not at all. Um, not at all. And, and we've been working through the nonprofit for 10 already. And I think we're just now starting to get to the point where wow. we can see some of the results. And, and so I'm, you know, I'm in this for, for a lifetime. Um, in terms of spending my time, I, I do think DC is fairly rich for this, if only because that Venn diagram of people who understand capital raising, particularly venture, um, and understand yeah. Africa. It's a, it's you know, a small it's community. A middle <laughs> yeah. area. It's, a, it's a bit of a sliver. And, and I think a lot of those people do tend to be here. Um, I also think that honestly, just as I look at my role with the organization and, and you know the family of organizations, I'm I'm not the person who's going to train youth in Congo, and, and it wouldn't be right for me to do that. I'm, I'm not from there. I'm not. I don't have that local knowledge. The most valuable thing that I can do is to be in the U.S. and to provide provide links to the U.S. And so, so I'm spending almost all my time in the United States um, as, as I think about finding capital partners or. Uh, or, or even people like for the board of our organization. I've, I've always sort of concentrated my time here, and I think that's worked well. I have two incredible co-founders who are Congolese mm. in the DRC, and, and they do the heavy lifting with the program, and we could not do it mm. without them. Um, and then my part of the, the bargain is, is I'm, I'm here talking to people like you and, and, and trying to leverage the fact that I am an American and I do live here, and, and you know I, I understand investing in venture yeah. and startups and, and that's probably where i awesome. should say well, I'm, gr- I'm grateful to have you yeah. here talking to me so sure. thank you, you know, yeah that's great so when it comes to p- portfolio support i saw um in your time with next gen you wrote an article on linkedin about yeah. that kind of uh middle third is where p- portfolio support needs to focus on right but wh- what do you, what do you I think, think so. like is there anything about portfolio support in africa that's different than you know your time at next gen here focused in dc I think you're probably doing different things. I, I probably gravitated, if you ask people next gen, toward, towards that part okay. of the business because I, you know, I, I don't, I don't love investing as much as I love mm. operating, and I think it was a nice way to be involved right. with the companies. Um, I, I would say generally, you know, you're you're working on earlier stage type things in the DRC. I found mm. I think that you have, you know, you have a less experienced founder base, and so some of the the work that you're putting in place or the structures that you're you're helping them think about are, are things that, you know, if you if you think about a seed stage investment in the U.S. are probably already there. Um, so go to market strategies, I think, are, are are at different phases in different parts of the world. That's not to say that there, you know, isn't some frankly very remedial go to market work I've done with amazing founders in, yeah. in the U.S. Um, but I think there's there's more of it in DRC. Um, and, and I also think that 
the context and the local context matters. I'm much better positioned to advise on a, on a go-to-market strategy in the U.S. than I would be in the right. Congo. And so it's, it's a little more traffic cop and, and, and putting people in touch with the right folks and being a sounding board in Congo versus in the U.S. I'd be much more comfortable you know, jumping into a sales team and, and, and really rolling up my sleeves and not feeling like I'm going to mess something up, <laughs> yeah. um, which, which might yeah. be the case. Well, so with the, with the entrepreneurs that you have invested in so far, how, how important do you think it is for them to spend time, you know, off the continent in, in the U.S. and Europe building their networks there as opposed to, the, you know, in the weeds, on the ground, you know, full time? I, I think that it's important for founders to figure out a way to work less in the business and more on the business. And that's, that's universally yeah. true. I sort of reject the notion that, that, you know, Congolese entrepreneurs need to necessarily yeah. come here to learn anything. Um, I, and I think that, you know, we could probably learn just as much from, from them. Um, and, and that's probably somewhat controversial. I think there's also people in the U S who would argue that, American entrepreneurs need to live in Silicon Valley if you want to start a, a big tech company, and I don't know if that's. I think that narrative is dead at this point. I think it has been. I think it has I hope been so. dying. I, hope so. I think you know Stripe announced they're leaving. They're they're moving their yeah. Silicon Valley headquarters out of there. Great, and, and uh, that, that certainly wasn't like the final stake, but I think it's you know it's it's certainly yeah. dead. And I don't I don't necessarily think this is this is a problem with Silicon Valley as much as it is to say that you can now do these things in a lot more places than you could 10, 15, right. 20 years ago. Um, I, I don't, I, I've found that a lot of the structural issues that people assume exist in Congo that would prevent it, prevent you from starting a company there aren't really real. Mm. And so you can actually start a company in DRC. Um, you, can, you might need to buy your own generator in case the power goes out. Right. But like there's ways to do this. And, and I think that, you know, the cross-cultural learning that exists is the same as it right. would be anyway. Yeah. But that, that's even like an opportunity. Like there, there, there are certain nuances of doing operating in Africa like like you know needing a generator like most people wouldn't really sure. think about that but there are certain nuances like that that if you if you think about it in the right context and with the right perspective it can actually open up a market opportunity that no one's looking at yeah 100% okay. yeah um, that's, that's absolutely true and anything really can be yeah you know can be entrepreneurship I, I do think you're touching on something important though which is how does that change when you start to to look at more complex you know global businesses and 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 what we might call in, in business school, like more professionalized mm. businesses. Um, again, I don't think this is just Congo. I think, I think there's a lot of that here too, where you, know, you hit a certain point if you're trying to scale where there's a little more structure that needs to be in place. Um, and before that, you might not need it. Uh, and, and I do think that there's some training that's involved there, but there's a small proportion of people anywhere in the world who are really professional managers who are good enough to, to scale a business yeah. globally. Um, and, and I think that, you know, we have a lot to focus on in growing uh, a startup ecosystem in Congo before we're worrying about some of those types of things, um, whether it be, you know, just HR regulations or, you know, uh, boards and, and how you're interacting with that or uh, capital allocation and, and what to, whether you should be raising debt or equity and in what proportions. Like these are all things that are further up the value chain that, frankly, most American businesses never even really never need to really think yeah. about either. Um, but, but we just don't have as many examples. I also think we have a lot of, uh, fast growth American startups that have bumped up against those yeah, challenges. Sure. Yeah, sure. Um, or maybe, maybe gotten out over their skis a little bit with growth before they, they had that those happens, things in place. So we have a lot, lot to learn as oh well. God. Probably happens more than yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. Right. And I think, you know, I mean, we're, we're fresh off we work <laughs> stuff, right? So it's like, it's all like, we think yeah. about this stuff and you see it, you see it everywhere. But I, I just, you know, part of entrepreneurship is scoping the challenges. And I, I think there's, you know, there's other stuff to be to be yeah. thought about 
in DRC before we get so there. So actually, I really like WeWork at an eight billion valuation. I, I didn't like it out sure. of forty. Yeah, I like it a lot as at eight billion. No, it's it's a forty-seven billion yeah. dollar real yeah. estate company is tough. Yeah. To, tough to justify. Yeah, I, I actually so. think WeWork is similar to. I think it's a, it's going to be a similar case study to AWS when in the early days everyone was like, well, this is kind of a commodity because it's just racks and you just have servers, mm-hmm. but AWS is kind of built a differentiated brand in the space. And I think it's going to be a similar type of play with WeWork. I think the brand think is, it could. people it, underestimated it, 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 the brand, I think. Yeah. Sure, but I think 8 billion Yeah, is no, no, right. exactly. Yeah, and, 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 right. and unfortunately, yeah. you know, everyone's already taken a bath on that, right? Where it's, it's, a, it's a little, it's got, it got a little crazy for a while, but, um, but no, I think that speaks to the challenges that still exist in scaling any company yeah. anywhere in the world and, and how that intersects with leadership and how that intersects with, with structures that you put so, in place. So uh, one, one, one company that I've recently um, read a case study on is a company called Rappi. R-A-P-P-I, they're, they're, they're based on Latin okay. America. And they started off just, I mean, basically replicating, you know, the Postmates for, um, for the Latin American market. But they've been one of the most successful companies in the Valley at raising because what they found is that they were able to get very low-cost uh, delivery labor that actually made their unit economics profitable. And so mm-hmm. that unique market insight in the Latin American market allowed them to raise all this money to scale up and build actually like a profitable version of Postmates. Because I, I don't think Postmates sure. is profitable yet. But no, um, I don't know if any. Of <laughs> but then yeah. on top of that, once they had this uh, this distribution, they added financial services onto their infrastructure mm-hmm. that they had built. And so they started offering different loan products. And I think there, there's mm-hmm. similar opportunities in you know places like the DRC where there's different sure. market dynamics that you know don't really apply in the U.S. And you could take a model over here that might not be profitable. Then you could scale it up. And then once you have distribution, I mean, like this is why I'm so bullish on Libra in Africa because the game is mm-hmm. distribution. If you have distribution, you can launch all sorts of products on top of that. Yeah, well, I think it speaks to what we were touching on earlier, which is that there there are differentiated opportunities in every yes. different market. Yes. And, and to sort of stop your thinking at, you know, the fundamental infrastructure doesn't exist here is, is, is a little short-sighted when you think about a place like DRC. I'm sure there will be a business model, you know, that, that, that didn't work in Europe or didn't work uh, in Latin America that could work in DRC for entirely different reasons. Context is, is yeah. really important here. And I think, you know, we, we like to focus just on DRC for that reason. Mm. Um, and, and I think that's really important yeah. as well, um, because it's it's not just about taking you know re- repurposing American business models in, in DRC. Obviously, I think I think there's a lot there's a lot there that might not work that right. could work here. And in figuring out how to how to create those uh, the avenues for that information to be transferred is yeah. Is yeah I wish there was a uh, more formalized pipeline between um, Africa and the U.S. in terms of bringing IP over, because I think there's a lot of mm. hardware. Um, nuances or nuances of building hardware for the African market that they might actually sure. discover something that you know it's not really invented. I'm, sure. I'm, I'm yeah. almost certain they will. Yeah, it's at it, some point, um, just like anywhere else in but the an, world. Another another example what we're, yeah. what we're talking about is um, the motorbikes in Africa. Like all these yes. countries now, Rwanda, Kenya, Nigeria, uh, they're they're basically you know u- Uberifying uh, these these motorbikes, which is mm-hmm. I, I think in parallel to what's happening with the scooters here. But the infra- mm-hmm. I don't think that you know the road infrastructure wouldn't really merit the, these scooters over, <laughs> over in Africa. But, it might not, it well, might that's not true. That's yeah. true. Oh my God! In Georgetown, <laughs> I can't I can't ride the scooters in Georgetown because like the 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 bricks and the sidewalk are like raised right. in some parts and right, right. almost almost died. But that's a that's a whole different story. No, nah, I've I've heard a lot of stories about those. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I think it's you know. It's it, it, in, but I think to your point, yeah, it's 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 an it's an opportunity that was created. Yeah. 
because of the unique context exactly. in those countries. Exactly. Um, you don't see motorbikes really in, in Kinshasa okay. that much. Maybe there's like, just so much traffic. Like buses? Missing, or like what's like but, the primary form of <laughs> so, transportation? Uh, you, you do see motorbikes in Goma, in Goma. interestingly, because okay. I think the roads are a little, are a little, uh, are a little tougher there. Um, the, the transportation infrastructure is really interesting, and we're, we're, we're very interested in taxis mm. in Kinshasa. Um, it can be very profitable if you do it right. It operates much more like a bus line mm. where it goes back and forth. Okay. Um, but obviously it's informal, it's, it's, it's private, uh, and, and there's typically an owner of the, the enterprise who owns the vehicle, and then there's a driver you pay, and, and often you'll often have a, a, a second person, a second employee on each vehicle whose job it is to wrangle customers effectively, and, and this is a, a woman or a man who's kind of standing there yelling um, you know, where the bus right. is going, and, and, and it's all cash. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity there uh, that I think is really just interesting to sink your teeth. There's there's margin somewhere in there. <laughs> I think if you can find it, and that's that's very yeah. interesting to us. Um, but it isn't broken enough that you know people people. I asked actually when I was in Kinshasa last, why why isn't there Uber here? So there are people who I work with who have gone to different cities, even in Africa, and Uber exists, and, and they're like, well, you know, it's not broken. Like yeah. this works. Yeah. This works for us. And so if that's the case, mm. then. You know, it's, 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 it is fascinating to me and it's a good example of how I think if we paint Africa with, with a broad brush, we can miss that. But Kinshasa is a very different market than Nairobi is and then Lagos is. And I think that's, that's critical to remember. Too. I think that's also the toughest thing about operating in Africa, Africa, especially when you are operating in a country that's, you know, that doesn't have a big enough domestic market in order to actually, you know, build a significant startup. I'm thinking like, uh, like, like Lesotho. Um, Eswatini, like Togo, Benin. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, that's one of the toughest things about operating in those markets where you can't, like, the, there's not venture backable returns even if you do capture the market. Right. Yeah, and I mean, we like Congo because we think Congo's it's there. Huge. You know, this, is, this huge. is the fourth biggest country in the world by 2100. Wow. Which is, it's, yeah, it's amazing, right? It's incredible. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's blowing up. And Kinshasa is, is a huge hmm. city. Um, so, you know, you, you, you do develop, I, I mentioned earlier that there are parts of Congo that are all different from each other, but you're at least operating under the same national right. infrastructure and, and the same, you know, the same regulatory governing bodies. And, and within that, you have a lot of opportunity in this really enormous country. So we're, we're bullish on Congo. I think we have to be, and, and we've kind of gotten in the weeds and learned how to operate in a way that's, that's tremendously beneficial. And I think we'll, we'll pay off again, very, very long-term returns here, but that's, yeah. that's how we're well, thinking. About hats this. off to you. I wish you the best of luck. Uh, Thank you. So anything Appreciate you want to sign off with or any, any call to action you want to give? Um, no, I think I, the biggest thing is what we started with, which is just this idea of, of how it is that we think about a place like DRC. And, uh, and I don't think this is exclusive to DRC, but challenging some of the assumptions that we have about what people are like there and, and what it's like to operate there. I, I am excited every time I get to visit. It's a place that I love yeah. to go to. And, and I think that more Americans would feel that way <laughs> if, they, if they actually do. Oh, what's, what's the food like over there? What's the food like? So a lot okay. of fish. Um, you have the Congo River, and uh, there's a food called fufu, mm. which is uh, sort of a, the, the bread substitute. Okay. Um, you use it to eat the rest of the food. You kind of clump it together and, and, okay. and eat with it. It goes sounds well like everything. Ethiopia. I think it's it's a, it's a little like yeah, like, like that. Awesome. A little like that. Well, yeah. Nate, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.